Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. See Sean Ali's enthralling feature documentary debut, Two Gods, follows mm-hmm. Hanif, a Muslim casket maker and ritual body washer in Newark, New Jersey, as he takes two young men under his wing to teach them how to live their lives better. He mentors two kids, Furquan, as well as a 12-year-old, a confident 12-year-old, who comes from a very rough home, and Nas, a 17-year-old, who's been fighting through his own struggles as a young Black man growing up in Newark. The film is called Two Gods, and we're joined today by the director of the film, and that would be Sishan Ali. Sishan, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be chatting with you today. This is your feature debut film, uh, documentary film. I mentioned that. What was it that inspired this particular project? How, first of all, before you answer that, how long were you working on this project? We started exploring the subject loosely in 2015 and probably filmed continuously from 2016 up through the beginning of 2020. So what was it about Hanif or the situation or what was it that sort of drew you into the world that we we find in Two Gods? You know, I grew up Muslim American. And so I kind of was always, as I kind of got more, you know, embedded into the documentary sort of world and had a lot of interest in that, I was like thinking of ways to tell very sort of human, but kind of unexpected stories within the Muslim American community, because And I was really interested in like non-political stories because so much of the Muslim identity had been tied to politics and like headlines. So I was like, I just want to find real life and like the messiness and the complications. And I was based in New York and, you know, my brother, who's a journalist, who's the producer on the film, he had done this road trip called 30 Moss in 30 Days, where he told stories of Muslim Americans during the month of Ramadan. He built this really sort of like massive network through that sort of journalism documentary project about Muslim Americans who were doing really interesting things. And that's how we got introduced to the casket shop in Newark and where we met Rashad, who's the casket shop owner. And we just started kind of filming. And what made me interested in that specific storyline and kind of world was the, the kind of close juxtaposition of this sort of like tending to those that have passed and the deep care that that had, it was like acts of love juxtaposed with this other really profound act of love, which was mentorship. And there was something that was so beautiful where it was a goodbye to those who have departed and like a welcome embrace to a child who's like beginning their life for the first time. And that juxtaposition was so fascinating and it was happening behind the four walls of a casket shop. And it was so sort of like, unique and specific and had all of these layers of meaning and faith and struggles and joy and all of these sort of like emotions that I was like, these are all threads that I was just inspired by as a human being. It was just such a visual world. It was such a sort of like great lens to kind of tell a sort of unexpected story of like Muslim Americans during this time. Just by way of observation, this is one of the things about these faith-based traditions, as opposed to a more modern take on death, the passage, uh, the way that we think of death, the way that we 
either embrace or are or, or turn our turn our heads away from people who are who have died in a modern context it's it's a much more clinical kind of approach to how people die what we do with them the the whole idea of the embalming there's a lot of things that feel uh kind of cold about it and in this film and in other traditions the jewish tradition there's the older traditions seem to really embrace death in a way that makes people less afraid and un- and more understanding that of this of this passage that we will all go through is that a fair assessment is yeah i think that that was also something that really struck me too i mean even though i grew up muslim like i was at the t- before filming i was privileged enough to have not faced death in my own life. So I was very sort of like removed. I knew about these traditions. I was very sort of removed from them. I didn't know much about it. And I was so struck by like how intimate it was. It was deeply, like it was a room full of people, usually family members, but members of the community, intimately washing somebody. And the religious tradition, which I find, and it, like you said, a lot of religions have this, but I find it so beautiful. It's like so simple, but it's like this person, you know, before you enter the grave, it's like, in Islam, it's taught that like God asks you, God asks this person to be washed as you would before you wash yourself before prayer. So there's like a way we kind of like, we call it wudu, we like wash ourselves simply before prayer. That person cannot do it for themselves because they have been called back. So family and community members step in and do that act for them. And it's so intimate. And it's like the last thing you do for somebody is like do something that they can't do for themselves. It's like such a beautiful exchange of care And it's like the room is sort of grounded in like that feeling so that like the touch becomes even more sort of like personal in some way. And I thought like that sort of connection to death was so, like you said, like it didn't feel like anything I felt before in this country because I was so removed from death. I'd been to funerals of other faith traditions and it's kind of like not performative, but it kind of is. It's like, you know, the body's brought out and you're kind of very removed from it. And like, maybe there's a viewing where you can see somebody, but it's like, you're so detached from it. Like, are you holding that person's hand? Are you, you know, touching their face for the last time? It's like, are we really connecting to those that we're saying goodbye to? Um, That was something that really struck me on like a human level um, in a very real way. Right. And and in that approach that modern, we more modern societies tend to take, it also breeds this sort of sense of something that we should be afraid of or that we should be unfamiliar with. And then that breeds this kind of, naturally, it breeds this kind of resentment and or fear about it. When you went into the uh, casket making shop, was was Hanif there initially? Was, Was there something sort of that he, you connected with him and did you see a story there when you first met him? So when we first started filming, we were kind of filming mostly and kind of having more, more conversations with Rashad, who is the owner of the casket shop. He's featured sort of briefly in the film right. as well. And one day Rashad was like, I'm going to a washing. I need an extra set of hands. Can you come with me? And so my brother and I were there. We went to the washing with him. And that was the first washing I'd ever been to in my life. I wasn't there to film. I was just there to like help out with like him unloading the truck and just like, giving extra set of hands and Hanif was there. Hanif had worked with Rashad, but our paths hadn't crossed yet. I was kind of like very visibly overwhelmed. (laughs) Like, I think 
I, I'm not very subtle with my emotions when I show it, like you can see it in my face. And I think I was very sort of like, you know, it's the first time you're seeing somebody who has passed and it, it like it, it kind of, yeah. you know, caught me off guard. And Hanif afterwards was immediately kind of like, are you, are you good? Like, let's go like, afterwards. We're like kind of putting away. He's like, let's go grab some lunch. Like, let's just talk. I didn't know who he was. Like I had just met him that day and we sat down, we had a conversation and it was like, I was talking to a long lost friend. Like we just really shared. I learned about the tradition from him. I've been filming with Rashad. Like, would it be okay if I filmed with you? I know you're in the, in and out of the shop sometimes. Like, would you be open to that? And we filmed with Hanif a little bit. And one of the first days that we filmed at the shop with them is the scene in the film where Fraquan builds a casket for the first time. And that was like where I was like, this is a film. Like it, it, it moved very quickly. I grew very close with Hanif. We had that very instant spark as friends. Like I, I was like, if anything, he's somebody that I think I could feel like a confidant in some way. And when Fraquan came into our lives, like he comes into the film, I saw the layers of storytelling opportunities there. And it was like a light bulb went off. It was so powerful to me. Where else is this happening? You know, this, this sort of version of mentorship, this version of human sort of like connection in this sort of very specific way. And that's what really kind of kept me going. The film was important, but like I grew so close with Hanif during the process of filming this that it was like the film became very secondary. It was more like we grew very close. We spent every day together. He became kind of like an older brother figure for me in some ways. And to Aman, my, uh, the producer on the film, we got so close that it was like the film was an extension of these shared experiences that we had together. And this is the thing I'm always so impressed with regarding documentary filmmakers is you, you kind of, I mean, there are examples where you kind of know what it's, how this is going to play out. You, you, maybe you're doing a portrait of someone or something. You kind of have a pretty good idea, but it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, you had a feeling about this shop and you had, you had the sense that there, there are stories to be told in this environment. It's sort of the leap of faith that you take. And, and faith is a part of this film as well. There's a, a theme of faith throughout it. That that leap of faith to to know that this will provide me with some opportunities, and I don't know exactly what they are right now. Totally, it was a huge leap of faith. At the time, I was 23, 24 years old. I'd never made a film before. Like, who was I to say that I was making a film? I didn't know anything about it. It was really just like I loved spending time with Hanif. I loved spending time in that casket shop. I loved the people that we were spending time with. I was somebody that I brought a camera with me everywhere I went anyways. And so it was just kind of like the film grew the more we spent time together. Like it became this thing. And before we knew it, it was like we had a lot of footage and we had these really powerful scenes. And that's when we were like, I think there's something here. Like, I think there is like a real, there's a story with depth and layers and movement. The, the film found us just as much as like we found the film, you know? And I think I hear that from a lot of friends who are documentary filmmakers and it is something that's just so special. It's just like, you can't plan it. Like, I feel like the best documentary films are the ones that were the most unplanned because it just kind of falls into your lap like that. I would go further and I, I know <laughs> for a fact that the best documentary films, my favorite films of all time in terms of the documentary realm are you couldn't have planned them. There's just no way that would have happened. And I think your instincts are absolutely correct. Uh, the film is called Two Gods, and we're talking with the director, 
Sishan Ali. And he, as you mentioned earlier, the film was produced along with, with your brother, Aman Ali. What's that like working with your brother? He had made, a, he'd made films before. He was a journalist. He had made, and the 30 Moss series that he did, um, so his background, you know, was like a multimedia sort of series. And he did it with Bassam Tariq, who's like a now a very established filmmaker who does really great work. Um, And Aman and I, I, the first thing I ever quote unquote directed was I did a video and a couple of videos for their 30 Mouse series. And that was the first time that we collaborated on anything. Me and him are very close. I mean, he's my older brother. We're like six years apart. We were both living in New York. We were both in different sort of creative fields. I was in film school at the time when I came on board the 30 Mouse project. Do you want to shoot a video about a man, this man in Brooklyn who does this really interesting thing? And I was like, sure. We went on set together. I was surprised by how well we work together because not all siblings should work together. And outside of us working, we have many moments where we disagree and we have many moments where we kind of like don't get along, but there is a chemistry there. Like we, I think we're perfect balances of each other. I personally find that like on a film set, especially documentary, especially verite style documentary where you don't want to disrupt the sort of space with too much sort of logistical conversations. It's like, I don't have to say a single word to Aman and like, I can look at him and he knows exactly what I'm thinking and it's vice versa. Like we're very in sync, but that's because we've had decades of rapport with each other, you know? And I think he's just a very gifted storyteller himself. So he has a good, as a producer, he has a good eye for collaboration and storytelling and he has a good pulse for how to kind of keep momentum moving on a project. And so he was a great sort of collaborator throughout the whole process. And that is so important, uh, again, once again, as another example of, you know, at the end of the day, it's about storytelling. It's about being able to tell a story. You could, I can't imagine how many documentary films have just blown up, even with a great subject and a great story to tell, because of the inability to understand how to tell that story. That's an interesting dynamic, uh, because, again, from people on the outside looking in to a film, a director, there's an expectation that that the director is omnipotent and that they know exactly everything they're supposed to do that should be done all the time. But you have a, usually have a cinematographer and you usually have a sound person and usually have, and staying out of the way, there's another really important lesson to be learned. If you're a documentary filmmaker, staying out of the way and allowing something to unfold and to, and to have the comfort level that, which you uh, more than apparently had with Hanif and as well as uh, uh, Farquan and uh, Nas and the families, you seem to really be able to blend in. And I tell, talk a little bit about that process for you. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really sort of like, you know, and I think it goes back to that point where like the film became very secondary. Like we were so close with everyone in the film. We were kind of always there. I mean, we were based in New York and Newark is just a short drive away. So we were there like quite often. I shot you know, the film. So I was always having the camera everywhere I went. I also feel like sometimes with Verite filmmaking, there's this idea that like you kind of like disappear. That's it. It's like, I was always like present in the room because we were doing these things together. Like when we were going to the mosque, like even though the camera was there, I was praying in between taking shots, like, like, uh, you know, for the film. Like I was helping out at the shop. We didn't formalize it. Like nothing felt formal it was just like you know the the camera was there and it came out when 
somebody had something to say that felt interesting. And like, other than that, it was put away. It was not like the camera was always rolling or um, I never used a tripod for that reason. I never loved people. It was always like one sound running through a camera. I held the camera the whole time handheld. I didn't want it to feel like a production in that way. That's a wonderful advice uh, for filmmaking. Uh, for people listening who are considering making a film or have made films. Uh, that Again, that's an, sort of an instinctual thing. But I am a little bit surprised uh, about, you know, when you thought something was going to happen, you'd pick up the camera, when you had an expectation of that. I don't know how often that happens in a document. Usually, I would assume, I'm making some assumptions here, that a documentary filmmaker goes in and might set up a camera somewhere and then might do what you're talking about doing, sort of being a part of the whatever's going on. Um, but that's an interesting. Well, it worked. It worked exceedingly well uh, in this film. The film, again, is called Two Gods, and you can check it out by going to twogodsfilm.com to find out more about it, the screenings. It's, uh, I believe, going to be a PBS uh, release. Uh, tell yep. us a little bit about how people can watch. Yeah, so we're um, we're starting a theatrical run on May 21st, um, virtually um, in kind of select cities nationwide. So feel free to check out the website for screenings there. And it'll be on Independent Lens on PBS in June um, this summer. So, you know, hopefully many opportunities to see the film in the coming weeks ahead. As executive producers, you do have two of the, the really, the truly great uh, executive producers uh, Lois Vasson, as well as Sally Joe Pfeiffer. The film is in black and white. Why did you choose black and white? There were two kind of like main reasons. I always say to folks, there was a, never a version of the film in my head that was in color. Um, and the one that was kind of a weird sort of like gut feeling when I was filming, because one, the film kind of walks this tonal balance between you were exploring the sort of like intimacy of the rituals of death, which carries, even though it's beautiful and intimate, it's, it carries a sort of weight of some sort, but it also explores this world of coming of age, like a young boy, you know, I think of the images in the film of, you know, Fraquan walking down the street with a squirt gun in hand or blowing out the candles on his birthday cake in this kitchen by himself. And to me, when I think of black and white, I think of like my favorite photographers, black and white photography. I think of films like The 400 Blows or Killer of Sheep. And like, to me, it's like, when I think of coming of age, I don't see it in bright color, I see it in like these intimate details of black and white. And I think also like when you strip away the color from this film, you're left with those intimate details. Like you're left with like the way that water is dripping on a hand in a washing room or sawdust flying from a casket. It takes on these sort of grander sort of metaphorical meanings, which I think to me was, I wanted this film to feel intimate but I also didn't want to shy away from the fact that we wanted this film to feel artistic and cinematic because for me, my mission as a filmmaker, you know, I'm a Muslim American, I'm a person of color. And to me, like Muslim American stories have not been always told through artistic lenses. And I wanted this film about this community of color, about this Muslim American community to feel intimate and vulnerable and cinematic and beautiful kind of all at the same time. It's kind of like, I wanted this film to feel like a love letter to these people and this tradition that I found meaning in myself. And that was like the black and white was to think a really simple choice, but it, every time I watch the footage from the film, it, it just feels right. It's interesting because it's like that decision that I made all that time ago, I was like, I think the film's gonna be in black and white. And I remember Amon being like, oh yeah, I feel like that feels right. And it was just like, it, we just 
grew from there and you know we never looked back for me watching it it gives a, a bit of a timelessness to it there's a it's not you know for whatever reason color seems to evoke more of a of a particular time and place and certainly i i, I love it i love black and white well one last uh, question before i let you go you lost uh, your father and your grandmother what kind of an impact did that have on you in, in terms of the film and your perception of what the film would be? It was, it was incredibly challenging. Uh, it was surreal. I think that's the, that's the word. Like, you know, we were in the middle of filming. We had actually started the editorial process. And this was back in 2018 or late 2018, almost 2019. I unexpectedly lost my father. I had spent years at this point in funeral homes and casket shops and washing rooms. You know, I had this lens of sort of closeness to these rituals, but I was always behind a camera in those spaces. So there is a bit of sort of like distance there. And suddenly like I'm in a room and I'm washing my father and I'm doing it. And I, you know, but it was also beautiful, powerful because the only way I knew how to wash my father was because Hanif taught me how to do that. And so he, right before the washing, I was on the phone with him. He was reminding me of the steps and the prayers to say, and, um, you know, very much sort of like guiding me through that process, even though he wasn't in the room with me. And I think to me, when we went back into the edit room, I actually feel like this film would have been a different film had I not been navigating grief in real time. Like I, I had this desire in the editorial process and that's in edit choices, that's in the score, that's in the way that we've sort of like graded the film is like, I wanted space for reflection. Like this film became qu a little quieter and it became a little more still. And that timelessness, that kind of like you're floating in time a little bit. To me, when you lose somebody unexpectedly, your life falls apart and you're forced to kind of put the pieces back together again. And time doesn't exist in that moment. Like when you're navigating grief, it's like, you're not aware of what's going on in the world around you. You're aware of putting yourself back together. And the way you're put back together is more delicate and it's like more vulnerable and it's sort of like more fragile, but it's like this new thing. And like the film to me is we went in and we literally undid scenes of the film. I was like, I don't like this transition. We need to kind of like, push it. And our editor, Colin, was incredible. He was just such a great confidant in the edit room as a person. And he really understood, all right, this film needs to linger. This film needs to reflect. It needs to sort of breathe. It needs to wait. Every time I see the film, it's really surreal because it's like I'm tracking my grief in real time. Even though it's just through the subject's lens, it's like I can very much see the moments where I was wanting to things to go still. There's like shots where it's like rain on a window pane and we hold on that just like a beat longer than you'd think. And it was because to me, it's like, those are the details that I remember from when I lost my father, the way the rain sounded on the car ride over to the funeral home that morning. And it's like, those things are just so resonating in my head. And it was like, I need those tangible details in the film. And I think that's why the film, there's lots of sounds of like textures. There's lots of sort of like, details of the sound of the score because that's what I was remember feeling at the time. You know, just speaking sort of from a personal perspective on this, having lost my mom, and I totally agree with what you said about sort of putting your life back together. And in some ways, that process becomes more deliberative, more and you contemplation is part of it, you know, sort of you realized a lot of things about your life and 
the trajectory of your life. And But then hopefully the way you put your life back together is deliberative in a way that suits what you want, right? As opposed yeah. to, to bowing to the demands of others that in your life up to that point. And that still may be an important thing, but it's now up to you. you I just, that's how I feel. It's now up to me to decide these things in, in a way that I hadn't before. Totally. And it, that's kind of like in a similar way, like that's how the film kind of ends where it's like, you know, the film or the subjects of the film, you know, not to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't seen it, but it's like, there's this new perspective. The subjects have kind of gone through their really tumultuous periods in their lives. And Hanif has this purpose again, and grief gives you purpose, whether you know what that purpose is. Sometimes it takes time to figure out what that purpose is, but it, everything falls away. Right. Like everything becomes clearer. The process to get there is sometimes very messy and painful, but like you, you're given this sort of like compass that like is guiding you towards something. And that can be clarity, that can be stability, that can be emotional healing, like whatever it is. It's like that becomes your thing that you're focused on. And it's quite beautiful. I mean, gr- the part of grief process is like, it's healing. Like you heal yourself because of it. And I think we wanted the film to kind of craft that arc in some way too, because it's a film about life, but it's also a film about death. And I think we wanted grief to feel palatable, even if it's not said all the time. You know, we wanted you to feel it in some way. Film again is called Two Gods. And we've been talking with the director, uh, Sishan Ali. And you can find out more about the film by going to twogodsfilm.com. Sishan mentioned the theatrical virtual release, virtual theatrical release, and also uh, the independent lens screening in June. So be looking for this. And what an amazing showcase for filmmakers, independent lens is, for P- as, as well as POV. All the people at PBS, front lines, there's so many great things going on in PBS's world. Now we have something called World Channel, America Reframed. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. So you yeah. cannot say that you you haven't been warned. Uh, this is a this is a lot. There's so much great information out there and so many wonderful films, this one included. So Sean, thank you so much for your time here today on Film School Radio. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Film School Radio.